In the simplest terms, record levels of money continues to pour into biotech as it has for the past decade. But analysts and stakeholders aren't particularly bullish about the returns last year. One analysis threw these numbers down. In 2020, there were 69 IPOs in biotech, which was then a record with average stock price appreciation of 38%. In 2021, there were 80-something IPOs, yet another record, but the average appreciation was up only 5%. I'm Matt Pillar. This is the Business of Biotech. And on today's show, we're going to get Alan Shaw's take on what's going on here and what he expects to see for the duration of 2022. So, Alan, I know that uh, you know I gave the snapshot of, uh, of, of, of the investment picture and the return picture uh, based on just the past... Um, Two years, and I know that's just a, a brief snapshot in time. Um, but at a high level, it appears as though there's there's this money going in, not a lot coming out. And I know that in order to look forward, we kind of need to look back at where we came from. But can you begin to sort of put your finger on what this output problem, if it is a problem at this you know particular juncture in time, what what that problem is? Um, thanks, Matt. You know, it, it's 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 certainly what the way you framed it is certainly one way of one way of looking at it. You know, and and I, I remember when I first got involved with biotech, I, I often felt that um, biotechs, in the nature of their strategic view, their outlook, um, was very much of a long term project. Right. You know, you have time horizons, you know, you have development projects that go 10 years easily. Uh, and the science sometimes has steps, um, you know, mishaps and you, you go parallel and you go backwards before you go forwards and you learn from these things. Al Nylum's a classical example. Right. You think about the number of decades involved before they were able to commercialize a product. Um and how RNA was out of fashion and in, in fashion, out of fashion, you know, like platform shoes. So, you know, um, I have always felt that given given that you're allocating capital with very long term time periods, that trying to measure a company uh, on 90 day intervals, like you report and with the SEC and have conference calls really didn't really align well with with how you allocate resources and how you how one should be measured and i think in the same perspective when you're looking at the ipo capital markets i think you got to look at it during a longer period of time as as well to get a better understanding uh, of where we you know where we came from and and where we're going and and, and that there's a cycle here and relative on the cycle um we're still in an incredibly happy place. I mean, by all uh, conventional metrics. And um, and I, I would say when you objectively look at things, I think it's a tale of both uh, good news and, and bad news. You know, mm -hmm. I think if you're looking at it near term, it's probably more bad news than good news. But um, if you go back, you know, there was um, a little over a decade, there was a capital market IPO drought where there was effectively nothing done between for four years between 2008 and 2012. I mean, it was really a nascent industry. Uh, VC funds were kind of, um, it was uh, a case of Darwinism. I think we're, it's going to be a little bit back to the future. I think we're probably heading into a period of that as, as well. Um, but it was a period of time where uh, you could see tumbleweeds blowing down the uh 
the biotech capital markets. And then we've hit what I would say an unprecedented uh, golden period of time for biopharmaceuticals, you know, from 2013 to now, it's been just off the charts, crazy good. I mean, um, and we've gone through some cycles that have been the beneficiaries as well as the victims uh, of, of, of all of this. So, yeah, I think things have slowing down or appear to be a little bit slowing down, uh, particularly in the latter half of this year. The year certainly got off to a great start. Uh, first quarter was blockbusters. But, you know, actually, at the end of the first quarter, the wheels were starting to come off the bus a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um but it's been a, it's it's been generally good. And I think if you think about it, you got to ask yourself, why has it been generally good? Right. Because I think it, it kind of informs, you know, how we got here. And if and if you believe in those drivers that helped us get here, it may also and really, you know, akin to this tide coming in, you know, high tide. And now now the sea is going out a little bit and it's probably useful to have some insight for why the sea is going out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and I'm happy to elaborate on that if, if you care. I think there's a few of them that I think really, um, I think, highlight the situation that we're in. Um, one is we've just, we've been in a, a low interest rate environment, and that's been one that we've been in an unprecedented period of time uh, with that. What a surprise that biotech and, and low interest rates of it's like peanut butter and chocolate. Uh, they go they go hand in hand. Um, and, and as a driver of low interest rates, it's really created, um, you know, that 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 confluence um, has really helped as well as the success. There's been a lot of clinical efficiency so that biotech is no longer a backwater asset class anymore. I mean, when you look at the money spent on biotech, you see the impact on society, how how we've been back COVID and really helped establish a relative norm that hopefully will continue to improve. You know, um, there's, there's reasons why people want exposure to biotech. But, but the low interest environment has really helped attract the generalists uh, who, when, when you're in a low interest environment, you're looking for beta, you're looking for outsized types of returns because you're not going to get it elsewhere. Um, and that, that, that encouraged it. Uh, that, that obviously with inflation coming, coming home right now, I, I've, I've often quipped that um, inflation is kind of the canary in the coal mine for the biotech markets. So that that's something that people should continue to pay attention to, because I think that's a bit of a barometer. Um, also, we talked earlier in the year about the FDA and how that, that was really moving in the right direction. And as uh, as we've we've observed and and since talked about that, that, you know, it's 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 kind of stalled and it's kind of introduced a level of risk, a level of unpredictability, you know, leaving the seat open for almost a year is re- was really a negligence. And uh, you probably can spend a couple of beers talking about the background on that so i'll move on but that was that certainly added 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 to the burden that we're now carrying as an industry um so i think those are some of the big 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 factors uh and then lastly you know i think we had there's a human tendency to always do do as much as you can until the you know you break the camel's back and um and I don't think this is any different. I think we've seen a pendulum swing as well. Going back to the, the drought that we talked about, um, 
um, that created it. Uh, um, what I would say, uh, um, it dried up money available and, and reduced the incentive for company creation. Um, so therefore, there was a shortage of company creation during that period of time. So what we also witnessed at the beginning of this cycle was a supply demand imbalance for new companies. Uh, you know, when there's an opportunity that, you know, people will attract to it so that, that we've, we've, we've addressed that problem and then some, and it's been an incredible, and that gave rise to an unprecedented proliferation uh, of company creation, which then created, you know, what we've talked about is the boy bands. Thank, thank you, uh, Rob, right. Um, for the band of, uh, of IPOs that we've seen, and it's now come to the point where we've now created so much supply of companies and pushed them all out into the market that we've almost created a, 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 a band of irrelevancy uh, of all these companies that are, that are fundamentally uh, dependent on the benevolence of the capital markets for mm-hmm. their ongoing activities. So, yeah. it's, in, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I, I draw a parallel there a little bit to uh, my years spent covering the tech sector. And specifically, uh, for a long time, I covered retail technology. And, you know, leading up to the turn of the century, uh, we saw, you know, in the retail sector, we've seen a great, uh, massive reduction in the sheer number of of brick and mortar retailers, right? And many analysts, uh, myself included at the time, came to the conclusion that we were over-inventoried in, in stores. There were just simply too many changing shopping habits, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, many, many contributing factors, but there were too, too many, you know, too, too many players. Um, not all of them creating for consumers the kind of value they needed to create to be sustainable. Uh, w- would you would you kind of liken it to, to that phenomenon where there are simply, um, w- you know, perhaps we're over-inventoried in emerging biotech uh, companies there's plenty of money to support them in the sh- in the short term but but the returns on those investments just aren't just aren't there yeah I mean I think there's a lot of couple it's, it's a good it's a really interesting uh, insightful question because I think there's a lot of different ways you can go with that um, I think the short answer is yes um, and there's and I can point to a couple of different ways to think about it Mm-hmm. You know, if you just look, take a uh, 30,000 foot shot where I think it's 14 uh, PDL1 uh, checkpoints that are on the market right now, that, I think that says it all. Why do why has all this money been expended on, on developing all of this? I mean, it's a huge market opportunity, but what you're doing is you're cannibalizing good science. You know, you really commoditize those products. So it's really the combination that's paired with it because they, again, work 20, 30 percent of the time. It obviously certain indications of better success. Phenotypes will will drive that. But it's still limited. And that's a 20 billion dollar market. So that's why people are spending the money on it, because those are where the those are big market opportunities. But so, yeah, I think that's one example of it. I think the other way of looking at it, this is the part that scares me a little bit is that you know these biotech companies no there's no such thing as a fully funded biotech company uh, for the most part particularly if you're developmental stage you, for the, mm-hmm. those that are commercial you know, those that, that's a different class but they they need to keep coming to the markets 
And it's almost like if you think back to college, you know, out of beer, you have to pass around the hat. But, you know, there's a lot of mouths to feed here. And, and if, and if the, the pool of money is not as available as it was. Um, and I think the bar for, for companies, you know, the bar was much lower for company creation, for company financing. I think that there's going to be a lot more. We're moving into a much more discerning environment. Um, and, and, and therefore, you know, I think we're going to see a level of Darwinism, uh, as a consequence of that. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's take, let, 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 let's take a look at, uh, maybe some course correction, um, from a couple of different perspectives. I mean, you, you mentioned Darwinism and discernment. What, what does that mean from the investor standpoint? And then maybe we can talk about what that means from the, you know, fr- from the recipient, the, the biotech entrepreneur, the new and emerging biotech leader, what does it mean from, from, from that perspective? Let's start with the, the investors. Certainly. You know, I, I think it probably one that actually works, probably one bird kills two, uh, one stone kills two birds here. Uh, and I would call that, the, you know, the industrial jeopardies and the binary risks uh, inherent uh, to everybody who chooses to play in the sandbox. You know, generally 90% of all of these experiments are going to fail. So, you know, just as a consequence of the game, the industry that we, 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 we love, you know, it's, 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 um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, you need a high pain th- threshold to, to, to play, you know, yeah. it's not for the uh, people who are uh, lack uh, or, or, or the, that are afraid. Uh, so, the, so as a con, as a consequence of that, you know, you, you, you know what you're dealing with, but you also know that failure is going to be the norm. And I, and I, I think, you know, some of this Darwinism is going to be just self-correcting, right? The, the, the experiments that aren't going to work, you know, and some of it could be the way they've been developed, right? It's not to say that in someone else's hands, those, those products aren't going to work. But I, I think in this environment, you know, it, we're playing a little bit on a, uh, what I would say, doing a little high wire act. And there's not, let's just say the safety net has been removed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's going to be a lot, lot less forgiving um, down the road. I think the investors are the ultimate arbiters, right? Uh, they're they're going to ultimately hold, gate their investments. And it's going to be much more of a show me story as, as opposed to a tell me story. And I think we were in an environment very much, particularly when you looked at the nature of the uh, uh, companies that went public, a lot of them were um, uh, preclinical and very much stories. Um, and now I think it's going to be, you know, let, let's let's see what you've actually done. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think um, I think the best line I've heard in that spirit is in, in God we trust, in data we believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you a quick follow up uh, on that. So you you mentioned earlier you were talking about, and this is history that I simply don't have. Twenty eight through twenty twelve, right when there was sort of a not, not sort of, but there was a, a an, an outright drought in uh, in biotech investment, and biotech start, startup companies, perhaps fewer players. Um, was the was the risk as as high back then? You talk about ninety percent failure, and that just being the reality of the business we're in. When there are fewer players uh, receiving funding for development and and, um, and and manufacturing, and the journey toward commercialization, were the odds better? Or 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 not? Has it always been that that high risk? 
it, it, I, I would it's 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 a, I, I, the good news on that is I'd say that we have gotten a lot more efficient. Mm. You know, I think ninety percent has been the general rule of thumb. I think yeah. you can also look at the different modalities, and you're going to have higher incidents incident rates uh, or success rates relative. I think RNAi, you know, our, I mean, messenger and RNAi. A lot of that is the technology is much more predictable as opposed to a small molecule, and that certainly um, allows for a higher level of success uh, in in such situations. Um, I think well. So when you look at things from a um, um, from a um, you know again from a different phenotype perspective, when you're when you're um, You're, you're looking at the uh, orphan diseases, for instance, when you're looking at different mutations, um, you, you know, some of the precision uh, medicine that's being taken where you're uh, subtyping your patient groups, you're also improving your, your um, success. Yeah. I think the old way of the old approach was very much um, selling everybody a, a rack off the suit, I mean, a suit off the rack. Mm -hmm. And, and um and we all know one size doesn't fit, uh, treat all. And, you know, and doctors treat patients. They don't treat populations. So, you know, th th those are some of the fallacies that or some of the, mis the sh uh, misgivings associated with the way we approach things before. So I think we have applied, um, you know, gotten smarter at how we're running our studies. So our success should be, will be improving. But again, when you when you generalize like that, and again, it comes back to also topics that we've talked about in the past about the jockeys, you yeah. know, in this environment, the jockeys will run the right experiments and they'll get it right. And they'll, they, you know, they'll get the right biomarkers and, and, and ask the right questions. And, you know, there's, there's going to be a separation from the, uh, the, 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 the uh, strong from the, uh, the weak. Yeah. Um, Does the, uh, does the investment community get that? So, you know, you just, you act. So the, 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 the question I was going to ask you around what uh, discernment and Darwinism mean to, we, we covered the investor side a bit. Um, question I was going to ask you around what that means to the, the biotech entrepreneur, the, the leader of a uh, emerging biotech. You just, I think your response just now alluded, you know, it, it addressed that to some degree, right? Like, uh, discernment in the way that you're you're testing, discernment in the specificity of your patient population, uh, the indications you're pursuing and how you're pursuing them to increase your odds of success. Um, does the investment community get that? Like, is, are are they, are are they meshed up? Does the investment community recognize that opportunity? Uh, I, I definitely. I mean, I think that those are the tires that they kick. Yeah, you know, they they have a. It has been very much of a, a buyer's market, given, you know, it, there's never been more money around than there has been. It's, all, it's also uh, there's never been more people with their hands out looking yeah. for that money. So it is something that I think and I think a lot of people do focus on the jockeys as much as the technology. You know, if you're going to run the horse into a wall, it's it's not a good bet, even if it's a great horse. Um so, so uh, no, they definitely uh, pay attention to that. And I think what's really important, too, 
is the people who are still going to hang out in the sandbox. You know, the generalists come in and out. You know, they, they play the general. They, they play the fashions and they'll, they're going to rotate. But the fundamentalists are the ones that stick around. And during this period of time, they're the ones that you can really count on. And, and, and that's the good news in many, in many respects, because the venture capital side has, they're loaded, you know, they're, they're, their pockets are full, they're ready to continue to uh, raise money, even going into this last quarter, the first quarter of this year, they, they, they took down $12 billion. And that, that would have been a good year in, in most years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alone. Yeah. Just for context, uh, this year, meaning 2021, we're we're airing this episode in in uh, in Jan 2022. So when you refer to this year, uh, that 80 billion, we're we're talking Q1 2021. Uh, that that is that is absolutely yeah. correct, uh, my right. crystal. It's it's tricky at the turn. It's tricky at the turn of the year when you're recording in December and going to air in January. So. <laughs> No, absolutely. Absolutely. It'd be nice to go the other way around and uh, and have some money on the race. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The business of biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial, organizational, human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at CytivaLifeSciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A LifeSciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech. Um, speaking of December uh, 2021, you you uh, were the first, I think, to share with me before the Newswires even did or, about the uh, Pfizer's acquisition of Arena. And I think you were pointed to that at the time as an example of, of, uh, of, of M&A being a, a bright spot for the capital markets and perhaps your anticipation that that will continue or grow in 2022. Uh, I'll let you tell me what is, uh, what is the scene for M&A and to what effect? M&A is um, an important important factor, and I think it plays into the valuations of companies. And and for periods of time, it's been a way of rationalizing some of the valuations when it kind of goes beyond what you would normally expect. You know, sometimes, uh, I guess, a valuation when you feel like you've gone a little bit in front of your skis, you know, M&A is generally attributable as the reconciling item around that. And it's been a relatively quiet M&A market for a while now. You haven't really seen the significant um, transactions. And you can really look at the biotech, uh, biotechs, private and public, as really the minor league system um, associated with that. Um, and that, that, that reflects what I would characterize as a, a major change in the way um, pharmaceutical companies go about their M&A. You know, they really have traditionally outsourced it um, um, and, and, and brought it in. 
uh, what what you what you so so therefore it's it's very nice part of the ecosystem. You know, it was kind of you develop the drugs, you're more entrepreneurial, and then we'll take it over and commercialize it. And there's a separation and and really a good example of how you can really through collaboration you can create some capital efficiencies. And I think in the environment we're going into, and I can come back to that. I think capital efficiency is going to be the name and name of the game for the winners. Um, and I think it's always a good rule of thumb, even when the markets are uh, very happy. Uh, you should always maintain that. But but in in that respect, big farmers, um, I, I think because of a confluence of things, one is they are dependent on it. But I think one of the things that we have seen um, is that from, a, again, in the spirit of capital efficiency, I think big farmers gotten smart. You know, why do you need to buy the cow? if you can always buy the steak. So I think we've seen there in this recent period of time in lieu of M&A, we've been seeing a lot of licensing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that seems to be a, a, a more popular uh, way to bring in new technologies to augment what they're doing. I think the confluence of the, um, the reset in valuations that we've seen, you know, the XBI has been down, you know, incredible levels from the high earlier this year. And it's been a great run. So again, if you look at it over a 10 year period of time, you're, you're, you're laughing. If you're looking at, if, if you invested in February, you're, you're crying. <laughs> um, but it, but at, at the end of the day, uh, it's made the valuations a little bit more attractive for, for would be suitors. Um, because everything I think before was somewhat priced to perfection. And going back to what we said, the industrial jeopardies, you know, that, that, that's a myth. Things yeah. in biopharma can't be priced for perfection. Um, and, and so I, I think that, that and the confluence of that with the huge, what I would say, COVID cash flow that some of these folks have been able to generate uh, really does create a little bit of a war chest to take advantage of a little bit of the market dislocation, and, and you know, as, as as you called out, I think the you know the Pfizer the Pfizer tra uh, transaction for Arena um, could could certainly signify um, uh, a catalyst or a sign of things to come, and I think that would keep biotech a little bit more re relevant because then I think what people are going to be doing on is that it, it takes on a little bit of a casino mentality. Uh, where, where, you know, people start speculating on who's the next one. And, and that generates just general in, in interest. And again, it's about being relevant. It's, uh, and, and why are you going to be the next one? So, yeah. you know, you, you know, if you got, you got to think about differentiation, you know, lots of things we've talked about in, in, in the past on that point. Yeah. Yeah. You just mentioned COVID cash flow, um, you know, so December 2021, the Omicron variant, you know, conversations with multiple biotech leaders uh, over the course of the last 18 months who are working on the premise that uh, there's a market for them in SARS-CoV-2 uh, as it obviously becomes endemic as variants arise. Do you foresee the COVID cash flow continuing to be a uh, an opportunity for, for biotech such as, I mean, there are and there are hundreds of them, right? Hundreds of them that are working on, if not vaccines, uh, therapeutics for SARS-CoV-2, and, and I think continue to. Is that is that long term? You I know, know it's my, a, my, bit, my, a bit my, off the beat, bit off the beaten path. I'm just curious. Yeah, happy happy to uh, tackle that. 
Um, I, I think we, it's something that's going to be around for, uh, for the foreseeable. I think it's going to be uh, over time more and more similar to the way we manage the flu. Uh, you know, the, the frequency is still a debate. You know, what you have to do to mitigate it in addition to is still a debate. Uh, I think full vaccination is, is the easiest and best because otherwise we're going to continue to be hosts you know, if the unvaccinated will help help facilitate further mutations. Yeah. And it's probably on a, you know, we have our own issues here domestically, but it, it seems to me that we, we should be thinking about how we uh, vaccinate Africa a little bit better. Uh, yeah. they, they seem to be the, the leading Petri dish on this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to I want to jump back into capital efficiencies as well, um, which which leads to just a, a, a big kind of um, 30,000 foot view question around the control levers that that leaders of, of newly, well, any new and emerging company, whether you're newly IPO'd or, um, you know, looking for uh, looking for suitors, uh, perhaps, what control levers do those leaders have to create and maintain attractive capital efficiencies? Um, I, I guess to 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 well to 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 make their companies more more attractive to uh, the funding they need. You know, it's about being attractive and surviving, right? You know, um, so you know, you need to survive to live another day. And you know, I, it's almost like the lifeboat drill. You know, I think you got to think about you know who, who you know women, children first, and focus on, on on what's the priorities. You know, and 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 I and given that there's certainly reason to believe that this there's storm prospects you know this number of different views on um how we start this new new year you know hopefully for, uh, on the on the more optimistic side people are hoping that we see a reset button and people kind of lit, uh, put yesterday lit last year in, in their uh, closet and they move on and then there's some of the some of the other fundamental considerations that I, that I've referenced earlier and whether or not that's going to kind of create a little bit of an overhang on, on, on the markets this year. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think given the, the prospect of storm, I think, as you said, um, capital efficiency is important. And I think that really be, begins and ends with a couple of things. I think resource allocation is really important. I think the way you design your clinical Clinical uh, studies are very important, making sure that you're asking the right questions uh, and, and run those killer experiments. And I think that's, again, capital efficient. You know, early kill is as important as picking the right winners and funding them. Um, you know, so I think I, I honestly think that, you know, resource allocation is there's going to be a lot more emphasis on it because when the, when the, when the capital markets are spigots are running, everyone's like a drunk pirate. Um, and, and, and there's just naturally less discipline. I mean, we've seen it in our lives, how you, how you, how you manage your expense, personal decisions based on, on, on that. And, and this is no, this is no different, but now there's a much higher level of accountability. As I said, you know, the safety net's been pulled away from the trapeze. And, and so therefore I think, that's a key fundamental driver. And I think there's a number of other high impact areas that can, that record, that can be focused on and considered in, for, in terms of recalibration. You know, certainly portfolio management, that's an extension of, of resource 
allocation, you know, figuring out, optimizing, you know, maybe you don't feed all the mouths that are there right now. You'll give yourselves a little bit more wiggle room, uh, you know, uh, cost, you know, the one thing we always know is things take longer and they cost more money. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta plan for success, but be prepared for failure and also plan for the inefficiencies that are just inherent in our industry. I think you want to have a very, and in order to answer that question and to be able to do that, right, you need to have a really, really, really clear focus on what your needs are, what your goals are, and, and, and an understanding of how that matches up with your own core expertise and understand those gaps. And, and, and if you don't have them, you know, I think this is the best time that ever to, to collaborate, you know, I yeah. collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, when I step back and look at the big picture, you know, the, the over, over inventory story that we discussed, you know, perhaps the fact that there, there's, there's, uh, more money than there is maybe common sense behind the investments and more, you know, more, more, the more hands there are to hand stuff out to, you know, perhaps the more easy it is to, to find something attractive that maybe at the end of the day, is it, and I don't mean to be cynical. I don't mean to be skeptical, but when I step back and I look at the situation, it, it looks as though, and I, by the way, I'm a firm believer that, uh, and I've said it before that innovation happens in emerging biotech. That's, you know, that's why we see m That's why we see investment because people want to get on board with the great innovation that's taking place there. But in, in light of the you know heavy input and at least in the myopic view of the past year, um, the, the light output, is some of the innovation, you know, is there perhaps an innovation problem in biotech? And that is to say, is some of the innovation that we're seeing uh, being invested in too, too bleeding edge? Is it too risky? Or is it is it too overstated even? Is, is that part of the problem? Does it contribute to the problem? Um, I, I, I mean, you, you want the innovation. That's what we all pride ourselves on. So, you okay. know, the question of leading edge versus bleeding edge is always a, uh, a, a good question. But you also, you know, going back to my earlier reference of the number of checkpoints that, are, that have been already approved and God yeah. knows how many are in development still, you know, uh, you know I, I would suggest, I think you, the word discerning is an important con, uh, consideration and differentiation, right? That I mean, those all kind of build up to, you know, why would somebody be interested in, 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 in your programs? And, you know, at least, you know, so there's different levels of risk, you know, um, at, at, at Portage, you know, they take, uh, they, they, they're willing to take delivery risk, but they're not going to take uh, target risk, you know, uh, so there's different risk profiles on how you, how you manage your risk and what's achievable, what's not achievable. You know, um, you know, there's a lot of companies going out doing uh, targeting GBM. Uh, glioblastoma, you know, it's a horrible disease, but it's also one of the most difficult ones to go for, mm -hmm. you know, uh, this is probably not the right environment to be trying to chase, chase that dream right now, unless you've got really good data and a compelling approach. Uh, I mean, you can, and it's, and people are doing it. Friends of mine are doing it, but it's tough. It's a tough one to push. 
you know, to give you give you an example of how people view on that. I was once talking to a chief medical officer, gave me the best line in the world talking about glioblastoma. I mean, in terms of investor perspective, it's a hor- horrible, a horrible disease. Yeah. And I and I was asking him, um, you know, what what are investors perspective on, on, on glioblastoma? What, what's the reaction that you get? And he totally understood my my question. And his response was, they fall into two categories. Those that completely hate it as, an, as a target, and they, that's the end of the meeting. And then the other group simply doesn't know enough about glioblastoma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, it speaks to, the, speaks to perhaps the point that I was making about, about uh about the need for discernment, I guess, from the investment community to focus, maybe concentrate some of that uh, funding um, on, on, on winners. Uh, yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. So, you know, I think you do want to be differentiated. I think you want to have a good scientific thesis. I, I think you want to be able to have the data that supports it, even preclinical, and understand how that's going to translate into the clinic. You want to be able to have fun- the fundamentals. It's really all about having good fundamentals. And if you focus on the fundamentals, and part of the fundamentals is also being aware of the competitive landscape. Mm-hmm. And who you're competing with and, and you're competing with them for the market opportunity. And, you know, what is your market share? You know, why are you going to be better than them? You know, I mean, it begs a lot of questions and it's, it's not just the science. It's on your execution, too. Yeah. So you, you can be a lot of very smart about it if, if you choose to. Or you can yeah. at least reduce the protests, right? I think we're going into an environment right now. It's always been my approach, uh, but I think it's going to be much more acute is you want to take the excuses away from investors, whether you're private, public, you want to take their excuses away. So you want to be able, because they're going to go next and they're going to move on to the next next, um, opportunity. So I think you got to be aware aware of that and preemptive in, in, in that respect. And the good news is, is there's money out there. Uh, there's definitely money out there, but it's, you know, the bar, the bar has been raised. Yeah. I want to, uh, I want to speak directly to the leaders of new and emerging uh, biotechs, biopharmas in particular, um, maybe even formative, uh, th- those who are in their formative uh, stage uh, stages. Um, and we've, we've talked uh, about beginning, you know, b- building your company with the end in mind. You just mentioned having, having goals and those goals beyond, beyond candidates and indications, you know, there are goals for a business. And yet there's also a, you know, a need for, for agility, flexibility to take opportunity where it presents itself. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about your, in, in the context of, of what we're seeing in the markets right now, and your forecast, which which I'll ask you about in a minute, your forecast for what's to come in 2022. In that context, what's your advice for uh, emerging biopharma leaders who are who are still real early in terms of setting goals for the company? Those, um, you know, be, beginning the, de- determining the company's intentionality from the outset, the implications of that intentionality on the company's financial success, whether that's an exit or an IPO or an M&A or or you know, staying private and taking a product all the way to the market. Um, in in this context, it, sh- should the planning be you know beginning with the end in mind, or should it be a little more agile than that? Um, you know, I I think we all 
all have goals. We all have aspirations, but you also want to make, you know, kind of be in touch with both your masculine side and feminine side in terms of what's practical, what's reasonable and not get too, too much in front of your skis. Mm -hmm. So I think you got to first focus on your fundamentals. Yeah. Obviously you need to understand the chart. I mean, understand where you want to go. You know, if if you get in a car and you don't have a destination, you're never going to get there. So you do want to have a destination in mind, but you got to follow the science and, and you need need to be able to um, really be uh, thoughtful about how you develop it. And that means really understanding it and understanding the uh, the right right questions to do, uh, understand what you're solving for and run those experiments. Uh, and, you know, I, and not treat it as a pet. <laughs> and, and if, um, and if the, if that dog doesn't hunt, you know, you look at it quick and understand what you learned from it. You know, this is like, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, except people, you know, and you can use AI, but you can continue learning from this stuff and you got to have a plan and figure out how you're going to work that plan. I think a lot of times um, you think you need to emphasize your focus and emphasize how you're approaching things. And I think people are giving you their money and they want to know how you're going to spend it to answer the important questions. I think a lot of times people pander or have a tendency to pander because they don't have they're not necessarily either confident or they're just trying to tell what the investor wants to hear mm -hmm. and, and you know i can i've seen what i call pipeline creep where they add things into their pipeline that may not really be worthy and and again it's about about focus and de-risking and, and understanding the implications of read-throughs as, as well so you know you want to do things uh efficiently, uh, uh, aggressively in the backdrop of time is, is, is money, but not recklessly. And it's much better to, to spend that million dollars on those killer experiments or half a million dollars, whatever the numbers are, or, 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 or more than spending $20 million later on when, uh, when you could have probably gotten to things earlier. Uh, it's really understanding your mechanisms uh, and, and not view that as a black box and being aware of your landscape and knowing how you're differentiated, um, I think are, are, are key, um, particularly where, where we're going. Yeah. Okay. So where we're going, let's look at that. Uh, 2022 and beyond, what's, what's your, give us some key points, I guess, in your forecast. I'm sure there's a lot to talk about. We could do it. You know, we could, we could do a whole nother 40 minutes on, uh, on the forecast alone. What are the key points of uh, your forecast for capital markets in 2022? Uh, you know, I, I think the good, the good news here, and so I'll start with that is that, you know, at the end of the day, the macro fundamentals are completely detached from the, the micro fundamentals of biotech. You know, we're completely insulated from all of that. So ultimately, good science, good data will prevail. You know, it's just, it's the, you know, the how, how we fuel the beast, that mm -hmm. the cost of capital is likely going up and, and access to it is going to be uh, in, in, increasingly um, more, more, more difficult. But um, oh, 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 so I'd say that, you know, that that's the good news. The, you know, I, what I can't say is that, you know, there's definitely been a, a change in, in, in the macro backdrop. Um, 
and micro, you know, we'll see what happens with the FDA and where that goes. But, you know, the interest rates that I mentioned, the uh, the fund flows, um, the lack of liquidity because of the oversized, uh, you know, the number of companies out there right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think there's a little bit of a working out. I think we probably have some indigestion and the market backdrop isn't, you know, mac- the macro backdrop isn't, I would say, helpful for that. If anything, it'll probably uh accelerate that dynamic a little bit which is probably at the end of the day it's like why they have forest fires right you have to clear things out um but it's painful it creates dislocation but it also you know i think ultimately will improve uh the allocation of resources um because of the the things that we've talked about yeah yeah what um, so I know I, I bounced around a lot in today's conversation. Uh, you know, you, you, sometimes when you talk, Alan, I hear a nugget, and it's like that ooh shiny, and I, and I chase down that nugget and take us completely off track. <laughs> <laughs> what what important points have have I not given you uh, an opportunity to to share that you've you've had top of mind? What did I what did I gloss over too quickly? Um. I, I, I think we've, we've, this has been pretty uh, comprehensive in terms of how we kind of covered the gambit uh, around the considerations here. But I, I would certainly say that, you know, there's a lot of good news in all of what we've said. You know, again, if you look at where the water level is now and we said the sea is running out, you know, uh, uh, again, if you look over the last several years, this is, this is still a nice, nice level that we're at. So it's all relative. At, at the end of the day and you know we maybe maybe it's it's a good thing you know we're mm-hmm. having some of this and and i'd say also that the uh and that's in the backdrop of the industry has been never more relevant in terms of its contribution to humanity you know with covid sticking around i think there's going to be uh opportunities there again it's going to become much more narrow and focused because we're better at, at how we're treating the disease so what was an opportunity may not be there you know i think covid was or before you threw your acid into the garbage can. <laughs> oh, let's one more trick for this pony. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, that's, that's going to run its course, but I, I think there's definitely a relevancy there, but I, I, I think the bottom line, whether it's good times or bad times or ch- challenging times, you know, it's important to run your business unbridled by the uh, industry hubris and remember, it's impossible to determine, much less control, the capital market spigot. It's it's not an ATM machine, and you got to learn to live within, and 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 you basically earn the right to get more money. I mean, I don't think you can ever have too much, and I would always advise take it when you can. But you know, it's it's not an entitlement, and you know, I think what the market's going on in the market right now is a reminder that you know. You, you know, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. Yeah. Sound advice from Alan Shaw, as, as we've come to expect, I appreciate the time we're, we gotta, we gotta wrap things up here, but I always appreciate conversations with you, Alan. Uh, always a great time. Uh, always a great time. And, and you, you're always on your toes because you never know what to expect. You never, you never know what you shiny nugget I'm going to chase down next. No, I'm going to be more conscious about them as I, as I'm dropping them. <laughs> oh, keep dropping them. It's, it's good stuff, but I appreciate it. Uh, thanks. Thanks for coming on again. And uh, we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks. Uh, sounds, sounds great. 
Sounds great. Looking forward to it uh, to be continued for sure. Yeah. So that's Alan Shaw, who, by the way, informed me today that he loves he loves fan mail. So keep the fan mail coming. I'm I'm Matt Pillar, and this is the business of biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online with support from Cytiva. Check out everything Cytiva has to offer. The leaders of new and emerging biotechs at CytivaLifeSciences.com backslash emerging biotech. Then check us out at BioprocessOnline.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and subscribe to this pod. Hope you're enjoying the show. And if you are, please make sure you're subscribed to give us five stars. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>